0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd,
1: 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito com. Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peach Tree Hoops podcast where we look at the nba from the starting point of atlanta my name is kevin Shenard. i'm here with glenn willis i think we have successfully navigated the entirety of the hawks postseason and exit interviews uh there will still be some trickling things like the pre-draft workouts and, and things like that that'll keep things going through essentially i guess the end of summer league but uh we, we've pretty much wrapped a, a Hawks season glenn and what are, your, what are your big takeaways from, from seeing the Hawks fizzle in the last couple of games against Miami?
0: Yeah, I you know, I continue to say when I get the opportunity that I think it was important for them to get into this series, get into this matchup because of what they were able to learn there. Um, in, and I think the biggest takeaway I have now that I, I've had a little time to kind of even reflect more uh, with a little bit of distance since the last time they played, it was the, this is how much more physical Miami is um, than Atlanta. And then after watching, and even if we just want to keep it to the Eastern Conference, after watching the Bucks play today, uh, and the Hawks encountered some of that last year, I, I, I felt like they were a little bit, for some reason, they are a little more successful with that last year than they were in this Miami series. But the Bucs and Celtics were super um, physical today, but the Bucs were on a different level from a physicality standpoint than the Celtics were, and that made a big difference in the game. And so when I kind of think about the roster that we saw play this last season and what types of changes may need to be prioritized jumps jumps out the most, you know, they have their offensive um, centerpiece. They have the shooting, you know, they were, you know, second best three point percentage team in the league. They have a, a defensive anchor, veteran guy there. They have an up and coming backup center that, that, you know, I think most people believe will be a a very reliable starter at some point. So, you know, those kind of pieces are are there, but, you know, we've talked all season long about point of attack defense, not being enough there. Uh, We've talked more, I think late in the season about the secondary creation, Herder not kind of getting to another level there. Hunter certainly not getting to another level there. And such. Um, But for me, if I think about kind of the ending and what was the kind of the the starkest issue in that Miami series was uh, the ability to play with a lot of physicality. And even when Hawks got on runs, even if there were just a handful of them (laughs) in that Miami series, it feels like the way that Miami always kind of shut that down was kind of just raising their level of physicality. And so that feels like, you know, the thing that I'm kind of. stealing on the most right now in, in terms of the kind of a gap that really needs to be addressed when they remake the roster ahead of next season.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of compared the last two postseasons and I think Capella makes a big difference there. They never really got the best version of of him and his physicality, but in terms of just physicality up and down the roster, they, they don't have that. Uh, there were some other things that sort of uncharacteristic of them, like they were the best team in the league turnover-wise in the regular season, and that fell apart in the postseason. Like, how do you go, you know, full Jekyll and Hyde, you know, regular season to postseason in in that kind of area? Yeah, and
0: and not to kind of just come back to the same answer, but I felt like a part of that was the Miami physicality, bumping, guys off of their path to a screen, bumping guys off of um, kind of the point of um, kind of setting a, a passing lane. And I felt like that, all of that kind of, kind of showed up there. The other part was just um, they, them throwing so much at Trey and Trey t- largely uh, you know, to an understandable degree feeling like he still needed to be the guy who was generating the offense. And that was basically, as we look back, just, uh, almost an impossibility, if not an outright impossibility, with how much they were throwing at him uh, and just not letting him get into his spots and to his attack angles and and, and things like that. So, you know, Trey forcing things um, when there was just too much for him to kind of deal with, and it was um, a situation where he really didn't have much to work with. And, and maybe, you know, more often than he did, he just kind of give the ball up and let someone else attack mind was inviting that for sure. Um, and then I, like I said, I think the physicality kind of, kind of showed up there too. Um, and, um, and that's a valuable takeaway, you know, it's, it's, not just a thing like, Oh, you know, darn it. Like we missed on that and that we couldn't do X and Y and Z it's like, no, that's a really valuable takeaway to have heading into, you know, a, a team that still has a lot of resources to work with to try to kind of, you know, reset their trajectory to continue ascending uh, in the Eastern Conference. Okay, that's a big area that needs focus and, and that encounter with Miami, which it might not have been the same if they'd landed seven and went up against Boston. Boston uh, has, uh, you know, a, a few players that are uh, pretty physical. You know, Marcus Smart is a really physical defensive wing. Uh, on and on but like you know Horford is more of a tactician you know at, at center Williams kind of the same way um, Jalen Brown and Tatum were just kind of swallow up ball handlers more so so again I think you know try, trying to be kind of grateful for what learning opportunities came from this year is all of this showed up in that matchup with Miami And I think it's 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 um, really helpful that, that that is how it landed. And looking at what can cause a team to have a, a really a big step up in turnovers, what can cause a team to have you know issues generating any points at the rim when they were you know so so they've been so successful the last two seasons for the most part, kind of getting there. But You know, great great things to look at and, and take away from the end of the year.
1: In the exit interviews, Travis Schlenk. Sort of conceded there'd probably be more roster turnover this season than last. There really wasn't a whole lot last right. season, but you know he said just the nature of of the game the nature of losing the nature of having more free agents than he had last season he said dude there's there's probably going to be more turnover when you look and this is kind of a bad segue, maybe that those, these two guys, is, uh, they connect in my head, but I guess I should talk with the way through it. It's like, when you look at the disappointment for Trey in the in that series, you know, how much of it do you put on Trey's plate? How much do you put on sort of the pieces that were around him? Like how, it, it, It's clear to say, okay, it didn't work for Trey in that series, but like, how do you sort of portion that out in terms of, of what you saw there because clearly Miami was giving him a lot of attention.
0: Yeah you know I I think to me it kind of goes back to design and everybody has a hand in design to a to a degree right I mean you're going to hold Travis in the front office most accountable for that I think that's a fair way to kind of look at it but I think uh, at the same time you know I, I work in technology and you know if you have like a great set of kind of architects that are designing systems, for example, and you just screw up the implementation, the engineers that are working on it, just screw it up, then you can't always just say, well, the design was bad, you know, the implementation was bad, right? It could, that could be the case. And same thing here is like when you look at the way the coaching staff tried to kind of use that design and turn it into a product on the floor, a set of things that they're trying to accomplish when they put the team on the floor, you know, what was missed from design to implementation in this case? And, and you know, and I think that there's a, potentially a lot in that area. And then the players are very much kind of a part of that, too. I think the biggest takeaway for me when I look back at, like, why could trade not... Um, solve for what might mean him. It, I think that's a little, a little bit of an unfair way to kind of tee that um, question up. It's more of why couldn't the Hawks, why couldn't Nate and his staff and the players kind of solve for that? And I, you know, and my takeaway is that you know, coming off of last year, I think there was you know, heard or showed us a lot in the postseason last year, right? He and Bogey working together, attacking the weak side, showed us a lot last year. And I think that it's reasonable to look back and say, hey, we we all hope that Herder could kind of take it up another level in this you know, what fourth season of his, I think he's at, right? And then Hunter was, you know, hurt a lot last year, but you know, he's a you know was a fourth overall pick and kind of has a, a certain kind of base package to work with. And you hope that if he had um, uh, a less injury impacted season that he could kind of step up and then, you know, bogey was in and out with some injuries, you know, this year too. But I, I think that what we've seen is that herders, you know, if we're thinking about putting the one player next to Trey, that can absolutely you know, that absolutely has all of um, the skills and the makeup to be able to kind of attack when a defense is throwing so much of trade with Miami did is that guy I don't think it's on this roster right now. And I don't think there's anything too shameful about looking back and saying, coming in, we hoped Herder would be a part of that. And Hunter would be a part of that. And Bogey would continue to be kind of be a part
1: of that. Um, Can I stop you for one second? Yeah. I think it's easy to overlook, like when you go back to the Philadelphia series and things like that in the last postseason, like Lou was really helpful. Like he a lot of those lineups were Trey Lou Herder. And the fact that they had two ball handlers plus Herder kind of allowed them to to get some stuff done
0: yeah I think I think that's an excellent point um and and of course I may be assuming that Lou's not on this roster next year you know maybe that was a little bit of a convenient kind of um formula you know process for me there but still I think big picture you think about Trey where he is you know um year-wise Kerter, same thing. Hunter, same thing. And thinking about kind of those being the core. Bogey being, you know, now halfway through a four-year contract, right, with, with the Hawks. It's that group, you know. Could that foursome kind of be enough to uh, coalesce three players around Trey? Two of those three on the court most minutes, you know, across a game when is on and such. And I think, I think the in that area, the biggest takeaway this year is that none of those guys are really on a trajectory or are, nor are they close to kind of getting to be that guy you can kind of just put next to Trey and say, look, if you're going to throw, you know, two and a half defenders Trey on every single possession, we're going to kill you with this other tool that we have, you know, and there's nothing wrong with Hunter being a guy that has some, some solid defensive value can make shots, you know, space, you know, setting up in the corner, spacing the floor, lifting, you know, on the weak side, all those things that he does, I'm not trying to say that Herder uh, has this, you know, significantly diminished value. Now it's like, no, as I think the learning is just that the guy to put next to Trey, the guy to deploy with Trey, um, you know, there was a hope. I think that if not, you know, a little bit more than hope, uh, maybe uh, um, and somewhat of an expectation that that the the, the group of Herder. And Hunter and whoever else you might be able to add into the mix can kind of be enough to to do that. And I think that's just not good, not likely enough to to be something you can count on. And I think that has to be a big part of what they work on this hot season.
1: What what is the archetype for the player that you want to see in that role? Like, if you could just kind of cherry pick, forget forget salaries and free agency and the likelihood of a trade, just like. In terms of you know looking around at all of the other twenty nine teams and saying you know we really need our version of that guy like who 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 is sort of the the right type of player in a, in a realistic sense like obviously you you know not not an all star or a superstar but maybe something of a of a role player somebody who's kind of a bridge maybe sort of a halftime starter if you, he fills in but most of the season he's coming off the bench like. For me, I haven't really thought it through that much, but it, I'm thinking like a, a Jordan Clarkson type, some, something along those lines. But but if you were to phrase it, how would you phrase it?
0: Well, I mean, it, it, I mean it's so hard to answer these questions because the, the answer can seem ridiculous, but it really does depend upon what's available, right? And if we're... Sure. If, Right. So, you know, and I've, and I've talked with, you know, some people in the last week or so where I've shared a little bit of this, but like, you know, at the very, very top end, I think about a guy like Shea Gildas Alexander. And I asked myself, like, if they're going to build around Josh Giddy as their offensive centerpiece does Shea want to stay there in Oklahoma city, or might he be looking for a way out? He can run a pick and roll. He his he's developed a shot. He is, you know, incredibly quick attacking, Seams, you know which open up when the uh, other opposing defense throws a lot of Trey. so that's like that's like in my mind really high end you know sure uh if if you could catch um someone in the league that's something like cj mccollum was as he was kind of ready to step in to be a full-time starter right and 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 i'm talking on offense here not not defense right but like cj is has the length and the ball handling and the driving ability and the step back ability to attack the weak side of a defense. If you, if you could find someone who is kind of in that trajectory or on that developmental path and kind of tease that out and see that and go find that guy, you know, that's what I kind of, kind of think of, because I mean, if, it, you know, CJ was available this year and the Hawks had went and got him. Right. If they decided to use their capital for that, he would have been really that's useful one. against Miami, you know? Yeah. Um, oh Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, there would have been other challenges defensively for sure. Um, but that, but that's kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, what I think of in terms of a guy that we, I think we talked a little bit about this already because news came out a good six weeks ago or so about, you know, Brogdon being available that my, that Pacers are likely to be on for him. And, and he's, you know, probably um, you know, on, on the upper kind of uh, range of, guys that could be available he and i view him as he kind of he plays a kind of a borderline all-star you know level i think most years even if he struggles to stay on the court some he can shoot the ball he's physical he's big he's strong he can defend but he can run a pick and roll he's one he's actually one of the like you know usually in the top 10 he's in the 90th percentile of pick and roll kind of efficiency and execution but doesn't have to be on the ball all the time um and can shoot the ball and those sorts of things so you know i mean I think about Shane, it's like, he's so young and there's such a, an opportunity, you know, and this is, that could be a total dream scenario. I have no idea. Right. <laughs> um, that would be fun to put next to Trey Cause they're, you know, about the same age. You could kind of grow together and, and those sorts of things. Um, Brogdon is older and, you know, who, who knows like, you know, how much more, um, you know, 1800 minute seasons he might have in him, you know, CJ just got traded. So that doesn't, Seem likely. I mean, Clarkston is an interesting one, um, because I think on the offensive side, that's there's a lot there for sure. I have no idea how you make that work defensively. Um, <laughs> you know. Um I mean, and I mean, like Bradley Bill is is a guy who's still yeah, fairly young, right? But you know, he's he's absolutely gonna be on a max contract, you know, you know, going forward and all that sort of stuff. So how does that work? Kind of kind of cap-wise, but he definitely has the the chops to kind of do all of that and to run all your offense through him when Trey is off, you know, and things like that. So, but I mean, if you ask me like when, who, you know, who might be in year two year three and on you know, and has kind of a makeup of what could turn into like a CJ McCollum kind of player, you know, that's that. I don't think I'm ready to answer that question yet. I need a little time to probably kind of work on that and pull back a little bit more and not just reflect on the off season, but, reflect on the, the, the season, the whole league had uh, kind of there. Um, so maybe, maybe I'll tease that up for one of our next podcasts where I'll uh, kind of think more, a little bit more uh, about, about that. Cause it, we have time. I mean, like, is, I mean, but he, just like is Jalen Brunson. Um, Going to stick around in Dallas. Uh, oh, that, looks, that
1: that Yeah. See now, now you're that yeah. that's interesting. Like yeah,
0: and, and, he, and he feels to me like a guy who could be on that CJ, you know, type of kind of, kind of path and stuff. So he, he jumps out um a little bit, you know uh, I, I think people would think about if you, if you weren't already just traded to Indiana, like a, a Tyrese Halliburton is a guy that could be, you right. know, kind of of that, of that mold too. But, um, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's tough to project uh, right now who those are. So, the, but there are a few guys, Kind of like that. Clarkson is more of the veteran version of that where you don't you wouldn't expect really more growth there because he's he's kind of I think plateaued. And I mean he's a really good offensive player, no doubt about that. Uh Um but yeah, it's that's that has to be, I think, what what Travis is working on job one. And I I would even put that higher, uh, at a higher priority than their uh wing defense or point attack defense, just because we saw like a team just basically take everything away from Trey in a whole series. And that's just, that can't be something an opponent could do. Um, period. In my view.
1: And if, you know, the Hawks are able to get that kind of player at some point, you know, Trey in his exit interviews said, you know, what he wanted to work on in the off season. He, he said, you know, either. He said a couple of things, you know, the first one was like, he didn't really know how much time he was going to take off or if he was going to take off time later, if he was going to take off time now. He just said, I'm super, super motivated. And he brought up saying, you know, they're, they're, I want to add stuff to my game. And last season for him, you know, he said he wanted to add mid-range things to his game. He was saying in exit interviews, you know, essentially that he really wanted to work on his off-ball game. Like he wants to be able to come off, pin down screens, he wants to be able to work without the ball. And, and, you know, that's encouraging. Um, cause I <laughs> he already does so many things so well on offense. Uh, if, if the, the tools around him are a little bit better and there's potential for keeping teams off balance, uh, because there's more talent and because Trey can do more things, uh, that opens, that opens up a lot of potential for an offense that's already really good. Uh, and especially, you know, for, for postseason stuff. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to, is when teams are really scheming against you when they're loading up, when, when they've had a full season of your work to, to look at and diagnose and, and try to attack, um, him being able to do more things like that would, would really be a nice counter
0: it would i mean I, I no i think he might has i think he said this post game after game 5 and not not on in exit interviews but he basically said no, he said I'm,
1: in the exit interviews 100% no i mean i mean, I mean oh something when different to yeah
0: when he said i'm i'm good at that and i you know, i will oh, disagree yeah,
1: you. right after yeah. game 5 he said i'm good at that and then in exit interviews he said uh i really want to work on that
0: yeah, yeah, so I, I, I'm more on board the exit interview tone <laughs> than the <laughs> post-game vibe tone, but I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, you know, Trey had a phenomenal year. He had his best year, yet, and um, I've talked a little bit about this, but the fact that this year it seemed like he knew that teams just weren't going to run such conservative drop on him this year, Um and, and that he wasn't going to get to his floater as frequently. And that wasn't going to be um, a reliable kind of source of, of so much of his offense and the way it was the prior year. And then even the, the free throw reduction, you know, kind of hit too. And the fact that he dealt with all that and was able to, you know, become a more efficient and more productive scorer, really, it's just, that's just impressive, you know? And so, it, you know, it's not like we're talking about a guy who didn't work really, really hard last off season at, valuable pieces to his game but um but it's, uh, you know i remember i mean i'm just reflecting on watching the warriors and grizzlies game today and how much the grizzlies were overplaying all of their screens um where they lift uh clay kind of towards and stuff towards the ball when they're working off ball and then when the defense overplays that they cut to the rim and and in the second half there were like a handful of plays where that was just critical. And and I try to think about that. It's like, do I recall Trey doing that kind of one time? And, and, and that's not to unfairly hammer Trey. That's not something that the Hawks have really baked into their offense, right? Is that, that they rely on their bigs to beat um, defenses that are overplaying up high and create those lobs and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So that's by design. But I, I think if, if teams are going to kind of do what Miami does, that Trey be, being the one that beats that by getting behind the defense and creating that—that that would be something that'd be really interesting to see them add. But it, he's, you know, he will. Uh, to to be fair and kind of honest with ourselves, to date, he's kind of stood around for the most part when he's given the ball up. Part of that is design. Part of that is he he needs a little time to catch his you know wind and 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 kind of buy some energy cycles and things like that. But when it comes to kind of punishing what Miami threw at you, he's got to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Everybody's got to keep moving. And there was just not enough movement there. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of adjustment from his offensive scheme standpoint they add there and how that might challenge Trey to do more of that, right? It can't just be trade deciding I'm going to recognize what I need to cut. That has to be built in to the plan to a decent degree for that to be uh, enabled and portrayed to be empowered to do that. You know, if he if he is going to, in fact, like he said, uh, commit to do that, so it's, it can't be just him. It has to be kind of the team, the coaching staff, all committing to making that something that they're going to add to the mix and 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 um,
1: seeing if that can be something that's different about their office next year. I have uh, I've, I've formed two strong opinions over the last week or so can't wait first one is i do not want any part of rudy gobert like no like he's a great player part of it is that the hawks and the jazz are similar enough teams that you look at that swap and it's like if gobert doesn't fix those things for the jazz in utah if he comes to atlanta it's so many of the same issues he's not going to fix those issues here either i I just look at the way that he's been attacked in the postseason with some of these five out offenses and i know that it's a failure of the eye test maybe more than the number test but i i i can't see that being a dramatic enough improvement over Clint Capella to want to do that like I just in terms of the money that's owed to him in terms of the assets that Utah would want to make that happen it just seems like a lose-lose like I just don't want that to happen I mean I understand all of the things that he does bring and that when he brings those things he'd probably be even better in Atlanta playing next to Trey because that would be the best passer he's ever played with. I still don't want it to happen. Like, I just, it just doesn't have enough upside for the cost for me. I, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm I, out on I, Gobert. I don't. I, I don't want that. I'm. With, I'm with you there.
0: Um, you know, a few caveats, I guess, is that any team in the league should want to at least think about the opportunity to get him. He's that good defensively, right? we all know how bad Utah was at the point of attack on the perimeter this year. And Utah was 10th in defensive rating. Um, so, um, you know, that's something that's substantial. I, I do think there's a, a bit of a different calculation in the postseason. You pointed that out. Right. Um, and such. Um, but, um, but I, you know, I, I think how much he would, uh, how much of your caps he, he would take up not ideal. Um, If the rest of the pieces were there like if their wings were like in a good place and things like that, uh, you know, a little something you could kind of maybe think about a little bit more, but I I think, and then on top of that, if they didn't have a Kongu kind of already developing towards I think being a guy who could be a really reliable starter in the future, then maybe that's something to think about too, but it, it just feels like they're tweaking the wrong part of the roster, you know. To me, uh, to to kind of think about that. So I I agree, especially if Utah. Reminding ourselves, Danny Ainge is there, and he always seems to have the highest expectations for what returning could get of any player. Um, I I I I can't imagine it would be useful for the Hawks to use like draft capital plus Capella if that's what it was, right? Draft capital plus Jaden plus Capella, whatever that would look like. That's not moving the needle in the areas where they really need to move the needle, in my opinion. And, and so that, that kind of disqualifies that as something that would, I would see as being attractive too.
1: My, my, my second strong opinion is I'm ready to, to push the chips to the middle of the table on DeAndre Hunter, like recognizing that, you know, his deficiency was sort of something that Miami preyed upon. I still think that he has what it takes. Like, just the the combination of what he gives him on perimeter defense, his size, his strength, his shooting ability. I think he played through a lot of injury after that Oubre fall. Um, he, He was talking in exit interviews about how he'd been playing with a back issue for a significant amount of time. And I think there's still an opportunity for growth. Like he's still young enough that, you know, if you can lock him up for years, you know, his, his age 25 to 28 season seasons that that's, you know, if there's an opportunity maybe to extend him at a discount because this season was a little bit of a disappointment, I'm I'm okay with that. I, I think he's going to grow. I think, I think there's an opportunity. I, th- I like the fact that he played as much power forward as he did this season. I think that opens up a lot. Um, you know, I think one of the ways that the Hawks can get more playmaking on the floor next to Trey is, is to have somebody like Hunter at the four. I'm, I'm, I know, I know there are things, but I'm, I'm still ready. I, I think he is committed to, to getting better. I think it's pretty clear that he knows he has to get better. The Hawks know he has to get better. They know what he has to get better at, and he's already good at a lot of things. And I, I I'm willing to take that gamble uh, that that he makes a little bit of a leap in in the coming years. And uh, I don't know. I, I, if it were me, I would be ready to to commit to him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to see them stay committed to him in terms of from a developmental priority standpoint and all of that, I agree with you that when you move him to the four, um, especially if you can play him with a strong rebound or the five, it um, gives him more matchups that he can kind of attack with the skill set he has when he's attacking wings, his ball handling and other parts of his game, not there yet. May, maybe that grows. Maybe, they, maybe he, there's a leap improvement there. I, I don't know. I, I'm not kind of predicting that, but I just know it's hard to find guys with his length, his strength, um, the, the raw skill set he has, you know, he can make shots um, and, and he can add his size around screens. Um, you know, he still needs to become a better defensive player in a few areas. He needs to become a much better ball handler. Um, so I, I want to see him remain a priority to the team. Now, when it comes to an extension, I feel like the Hawks should not offer him something that I think he would take. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I feel like DeAndre shouldn't take what the Hawks would probably offer him. Right. So, I mean, let's just kind of, let's say if they said DeAndre will give you four years at, you know, say 16 million per year, DeAndre should bet on himself and say, no, I'm going to be better than that. Right. Uh, If they said, well, if the Hawks on on the other end said, we'll give you four years at say, you know, 25 million you know in that range then hunter should jump at it and i think that's too much of a risk for the hawks so i i, I kind of see there not being kind of a, a much of a venn diagram to what the hawks should be comfortable with and what the deandre should be comfortable with which means that if that's the, how it works out he's going to go become a restricted free agent that's fine they still have a ton of control there the risk for the hawks is if he puts it all together next year, he's going to cost them a ton of money, right? And restrict the free agency. But that's um, just something I can't think you have to kind of kind of live with the injury history and how rough some parts of his play were this year. I think tells you I don't want to get you know allocate four years of a really really high number there. And I think on the flip side of that, like I said, the other should better himself. So that um, that I mean. I guess I'll be shocked if they figure something out and I do believe in him still. I know a lot of Hawks fans have uh, have been at times ready to give up on him, but I'm like, you yeah, know, I'm still in. We'll see how the, the, the extension window works out, but I'm going to guess that DeAndre Betts himself and the Hawks are cautious enough to just ride that through to a restrictive free agency, but he should be a big part of their plan for next year. In, in my view, there's enough there that I like and, Cross our fingers, hope he can have a healthy offseason and a healthy start to the season. Uh, and, and hopefully a full healthy season next year, which could make a big difference for him.
1: I guess we should say we got a long off season ahead, but uh, is there anything else you want to take care of tonight and get out there?
0: I don't think so. I'm, I'm enjoying the second round of the playoffs. Um, draft is June 23rd. We know where the Hawks are picking, so the, the lottery is inconsequential to the Hawks, if investors if, if right. didn't know that. And the other big date um, ahead of free agency is a June 29 guarantee date for Gallo's full salary for next year. Um, And I would say also share that if I think if if fans are thinking, can the Hawks trade him, there is not a trade exception and there's not much cap room that teams have to trade the full salary number into a slot. So those are the two big dates coming up. So we're still a good seven weeks away from anything kind of material happening there. Um, But I'm looking forward to digging into the, the, the draft prospects. Now I usually round two when there's not three games a night is when <laughs> I start to dig into the draft class. Some. So in the coming weeks, I'll start developing a, a perspective on, on that as well. And I'm looking forward to that. So, you know, digging the draft class, looking ahead to the draft seven weeks out, the Gallo guaranteed date about seven, eight weeks out, and then free to see about eight and a half weeks out. So yeah, we got time to
1: work on all that. All right, yeah. You, uh, <laughs> uh, why, why didn't Gallo shoot at the end of the game? Like, you know, just that final possession where he's buried in the corner, like shoot and get a block, shoot, maybe pray for a foul or try to make something. Like, he passed it under the rim. That was just. I don't know. I
0: don't know. I mean, Gallo's been really, really helpful the last year's He's been terrible in the games. I mean, he's just been terrible. He's not been able to kind of create a good shot for himself when they went that direction. In this case, I think you have to try for a foul, try to draw a foul there. I think you double pump, triple pump. If you have to hope to get someone in the air and jump and create contact and hope that even if it's, you know, a 50, 50 call that you get it. But that was rough. That was really rough. Him, him, trying to thread a pass along the baseline to Delon under the rim when they needed three points made no sense. Yeah, when
1: they me, needed so. three. Yeah. It was, I don't know. And Struess was right there leaning on him. It just felt like jump, he's leaning on you. Like, I don't know. I didn't I sure. didn't get it. I agree. But he he posted something cryptic on Instagram and it was like that that didn't make me optimistic. Like I, I think I think he knows maybe now that that he's at the end of the line with the Hawks. I don't know. He talked about taking a couple of weeks off and then evaluating his future. So I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think most people look at the cap sheet and are like, there's no way the Hawks can really fit him into what they need to do next year. So yeah. he, they, I mean, they may have already told him and his agent that, you know, ahead yeah. of time just so that there's, they, they can start working right. on things as you can. Yep. Um, but I mean, he's, he helped them a ton the last few years. I'm glad he was there. His leadership and veteranship were valuable, but I think just from a math perspective, the cap sheet, I have a hard time seeing him fitting in next year. Yeah, same here.
1: All right, Glenn. Thank you for your time, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good night. Night.